Today, every business is a digital business. Most of us are migrating workloads to the cloud, adopting DevOps tools, rolling out RPA software, and supporting a remote workforce. While opportunity is great, so is the risk of advanced cyber attacks. Many high-profile breaches start with a compromise of privileged credentials. CyberArk is the number one leader in privileged access management. Talk to CyberArk today to secure privileged access for humans and machines across hybrid and cloud environments and on endpoints. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash CyberArk and stay one step ahead of the attackers. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. Quick announcement. We've officially migrated our mailing list back to our original platform. We apologize if you've missed any uh, mailings or have gotten duplicates. Um, we do have a much better plan moving forward uh, that basically allows you to tell us what you're interested in uh, and receive notifications of content within your interest. Go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, click the button to join the list and uh, you will be set up to take advantage of all the new features we're building into our platform to better serve our audience. Peter Warmka is a former senior intelligence officer with the CIA with over 20 years experience in breaching the security of organizations overseas. Peter is passionate about using his expertise in helping city, state, and federal government entities, nonprofit, academic institutes, and private companies and individuals safeguard their sensitive, proprietary, and or personal data. Peter, welcome to the program today. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Um, so, Peter, I, I think a lot of enterprises, right, this is Enterprise Security Weekly, and we get really hyper-focused on protecting ourselves and our businesses and our users from email phishing. But that is such a, a narrow focus for the threats that our users are up against when it comes to things like fraud, social engineering, and other types of attacks. I was wondering if you could start by first giving us a little bit about your background and then talking about how we can protect our user from these other threats that fall outside of the scope of email phishing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, as, as, as Paul mentioned, I had a career with the CIA over 20 years overseas as an operations officer tasked with collecting foreign intelligence. And basically, it, it required the breaching of security to obtain that information. It, finding out where that information would be held, who had access to it, or who could facilitate access to it, devising a plan, uh, executing that plan to ultimately utilize human hacking, or another term for that is social engineering, to gain access to that information and send it back to Washington. When I retired, I wanted to see how I could utilize this expertise in the private security industry to use it legally. Mm. <laughs> I want to caveat that mm -hmm. here in the United States. And what I was amazed finding was a, not only worldwide, but especially in the United States, the growing epidemic of security breaches, referred to as cyber breaches, that were happening across 
all organizations, not only the Fortune 500 companies, but all the way down to the small firms, nonprofits, academic institutes. And uh, it, 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 it ran across the board. And what I was finding was really a lack of understanding of how this really is taking place because one statistic that drew my attention uh, is that the vast majority of them, I've even seen uh, mentioned up to 90% of the successful breaches start with some aspect of social engineering. Around that same time, I started to teach at Webster University and their Master's of Cybersecurity program. And of course, uh, focused on intelligence and counterintelligence as it relates to cybersecurity. Since it was not already part of the program, I decided to incorporate some modules regarding social engineering to, to have my students appreciate and learn about some of the methodologies and also assign to them a capture the flag, capture the flag exercise. And they, they became to be so interested, engaged, and to the point of even being obsessed mm -hmm. uh, with the methodology. And what I was finding is that there's a, there's, for those who are brought into to understand it, it, it creates a lot of interest. But in, the, in the, the public domain, there's very little information regarding social engineering. And that information that's out there is so superficial. It's basically like looking at social engineering 101 when actually the techniques and the tactics utilized by the most professional of social engineers is, is 401. I mean, it's a big difference. Mm. And what we find is if you go to a, your typical organization, they're treating a security breaches as being a cyber issue and not looking at it as a greater security issue. And typically when they're looking at how can they address this issue, you get the C-suite They say, well, we're gonna throw money, gonna, we're gonna throw funds toward IT. We're gonna give funds to the, uh, that are gonna be under the control of the CISO where the actual managers or directors of security, sometimes I don't get fully involved in, in some of this because when it's all strictly focused on cyber, that's where the resources, that's where the attention is going. And when it comes down then to implementing a plan, a lot of it comes down to, well, we got to meet these different compliance requirements to include training. So training begins to be, well, it's a check the box part of compliance. And when it becomes a check the box, and this is sent out to the employees, well, this is mandatory security training that you must take versus them seeing a benefit. This is a, bene this is a benefit offered by the company to increase your security awareness. It's treated as a mandatory requirement. And so the employees uh, also are gonna treat it as a, a, a check the box. But I think it, even in the marketplace, what we see today is when it's treated as a cybersecurity issue, the vast majority of vendors out there are focusing on the phishing. Because yeah, phishing, right. Yeah, is, is one of the predominant areas, right? Yeah, so they're, they're focusing on telling the user not to click links. And we all know that that doesn't work. And we also, I think, tend to educate our users that, well, hey, people may lie to you. And I, I've even been guilty of using that that tactic. But what I thought was very interesting, Peter, uh, in, in your experience is making the user understand the bits of information they have and the importance of it. And your skill in extracting that without the user knowing that they're giving up anything sensitive. I don't know if you give exactly. some examples or, or talk about that, that aspect of it. 
Absolutely. One of the areas, I mean, there's a, there's a whole methodology and I can get into some of the other aspects, but once you identify a specific individual who you choose as a potential insider, well, see, this is the thing too, in the, in the security industry, they say, well, we got to watch out for that insider threat. And it's typically focused on that employee that goes rogue and mm. decides that they're very, you know, they're very upset with their employer. They take the information out and they use it, you know, with another company, or maybe they decide to publicly disclose this information because they want to get back at their company. Uh, that's the, that's the malicious insider. But the even bigger threat, in my opinion, based on my experience is the insiders that can be approached from those external threat actors, whether they be sophisticated criminal groups or intelligence services or even other competitors, people that can be approached and be manipulated to become that insider threat, mm. that they wouldn't have done that on their own, but they're susceptible and they're approached. And there's like there's, there's a number of different ways to approach them, but it's first of all, targeting who within that organization might be able to provide us with this information or facilitate access to that information and then finding a way to get to them. But in advance of that, there's a lot of different ways to collect information on them today via the World Wide Web and social mm -hmm. media so that the approach can really, really prepare a well-planned out um, scheme to then acquire this information. And uh, one thing I, I'm also surprised when I use the term elicitation, people say, what's elicitation? Because it's, it's a term that we used in our in, in uh, espionage quite a bit. It's, it's well known, but it's a means of gauging somebody in a conversation to extract the information. Think about three different. There's three different ways to get information from someone. There's the interrogation that everyone mm -hmm. <laughs> understands. You're in control, and you're gonna make. The, you're gonna get that information out of somebody, no matter what it takes. Second, it is the and and uh, you're just pretty much providing information for survival. Then there's the interview which might be for a job or it might be the security director interviewing you because of some security incident. You know the position of that person asking you questions and you freely uh, volunteer information uh, and you know how that information is going to be used. Then there's the elicitation. The elicitation is the use of various techniques and there's about 21 uh, different types of techniques. When you engage somebody in a conversation and this usually is mapped out, you decide in advance, what specific information you want to obtain during this conversation and you pre-plan like white whiteboarding. These are the, how I'm going to direct that conversation to get to that topic. It might be a question. It might be a statement. At the end of the day, you, you put that out there to the target and you shut up and you listen and you only re-engage when you want to keep the conversation moving in the direction that you want to, to move it to. And it's very effective at the end of the day, uh, when you finish the conversation, the target walks away thinking, what a pleasant individual. I really enjoyed that conversation, but they never realized the sensitive information that they gave up on themselves and or the sensitive information that they gave up regarding their employer. And, and that's, very the, effective. that's the difference between a true master of social engineering and those of us that, you know, like myself that had to do it as part of penetration testing and just try, uh -huh. you know, got by, you know, my storyboards or, or uh, those were very, very targeted 
uh, to get very specific pieces of information. I think a true master in, in your sense, Peter, is when you hang up the phone with that person, that person's like, like you said, oh, what a pleasant conversation. It has no idea that they just gave up sensitive information would absolutely talk to you again, right? When people hang up the phone with me, they're kind of like, well, that was kind of interesting. And they're a little skeptical, right? Absolutely. And the thing is, what a lot of uh, security practitioners don't realize, they're thinking about how can I make this facility, right? How can I really make this facility so secure that this threat doesn't come in, whether it's coming through the uh, entry doors or it's coming through maybe through the high IT system? How can I avoid this, this threat getting past the firewall? What they don't really think about is, and I, I had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day because I was out on the uh, West Coast and I went to visit one of the very large uh, companies out there. And they had some pretty good you know, security protocols about how to get into the facility and you had to be escorted everywhere you went. And I just thought, well, I wouldn't waste my time necessarily trying to penetrate this company. I have so many thousands of employees who mm -hmm. work for that company that I would just be able to target when they're outside the facility and be able to get to them so easy. And a lot of times the companies don't realize about the different types of approaches that can be made to their employees outside of the facility. Right, and that's P a, Peter, a difficult thing to protect, Matt. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? As we think about phishing attacks, trying to get user credentials to impersonate a user to get data out, what you're talking about here is different in, in a respect that I'm here. I'm actually recruiting somebody to actually do that work for me. I don't necessarily have to impersonate them. I'm convincing them that they're going to give me the information. I'm going to build this relationship and they're going to be my inside source to get it. So I don't even have to go through an impersonation technique. And, and that's a, I mean, and I only know what I've read and watched in TV and movies about the CIA, but that is from what I understand, a standard operating procedure, right? That you have, I mean, is it labeled as informants or... Like, what is the terminology you put around uh, the, your Sometimes uh, sources, sometimes mm -hmm. assets, mm -hmm. internally. Assets. internally. Yep. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's a, if you look at, uh, actually, I'm going to be giving a webinar on this in the near future, is the value or the use of uh, social media, such as LinkedIn, that can be utilized for this, right? Think about uh, how this can work. You can utilize LinkedIn as a means of identifying potential insiders, right? When I say insider, I'm not only meaning mean uh, the individuals who are employees there, and that can be from the entry level all the way up to the CEO, but it can also be contractors, mm -hmm. third parties that are contracted who have unescorted access into that organization on a daily basis, whether it be the catering crew, the janitorial staff, the guard force, outsource IT support, etc. Those all potentially are insiders because they could be utilized in such a way to do something either knowingly or unwittingly that's going to facilitate the, the access to the information that the social engineer uh, wants to gain. Now, going back to the comment regarding like recruiting somebody, if we were to try to do that, once again, you could, you could reach out to somebody via, via the information, the profile that you saw on LinkedIn or on uh, monster.com, the resume, but even on LinkedIn, maybe they're not even looking for a job, right? You call them up and you, you pretend to be a executive recruiter. Now, people, a lot of people, whether they've been contacted before, they know of people that have been called by executive recruiters. They're called and they say, listen, 
I saw your profile on LinkedIn and I was very impressed. And I think that you would be a very strong candidate for a position I'm looking to fill for my client. Of course, they're not identifying the client yet, but they're giving a general terms of what the responsibilities, the title, and maybe what the compensation would be for this fictitious position. Now, even if the employee, the target, was not actively looking in the marketplace, um, they're, they're kind of curious, like, whoa, let me, let me take a look at this. What might I be worth in the marketplace? So typically they will be forthcoming and wanting to at least explore the opportunity. So it would, it would transition from a basic phone call to perhaps sitting down with them face-to-face -face over coffee or lunch, where they're utilizing both standard interview questions as well as elicitation techniques to really collect considerable mm. information on them beyond already what they collected uh, via social media. And what they collected on social media is going to be already a great insight into that person's motivations and potential vulnerabilities. So they collected information on the individual as well as sensitive information regarding the, the company during the uh, one or two interviews, but they're developing a relationship with the target and they will probably bring up an opportunity. Oh, you know, you're one of now whittle, whittle this down between you and one other candidate for this position with the client. And it looks really good. But then all of a sudden, the client took the other candidate. Okay. The person's kind of frustrated, but yeah, I can understand how that happens. You have that happen again with another uh, client. And once right, again, right. Oh, the other candidate was chosen. So this individual now is getting kind of frustrated. <clears throat> wow. I didn't realize that it could be this difficult. But then there's another opportunity that is proposed. And that opportunity is, listen, this is not a full-time opportunity. I'm sorry, I don't have a full-time, but I think this could be really of interest for you because it provides an opportunity to consult to our client uh, as an independent consultant regarding, regarding the industry. So you can stay right where you are in, with your current employer, get that, you know, your compensation from there and all the benefits. But in addition, the client will pay a very nice retainer for you to provide information on a, on a monthly basis regarding the industry and regarding your, your, your company. And of course, little by little, it becomes more and more sensitive where they're actually bringing that information out. And once again, you know, it's not required for us to try to penetrate the organization. The individual is bringing it out and they don't necessarily realize, <laughs> they don't realize uh, they might sometimes eventually figure, well, I'm providing insider information. This is probably not right, you know, ethical, or it might be a problem with it. But I'm, I'm now accustomed to the money. Everything has been fine. Nothing has happened. I've been doing this for several months. And these can go on for not only months. These can go on for years to the point of when there's no longer a need for that information or if the target now, the source, has moved into another position where they mm -hmm. no longer have access to that information or maybe they retired. Right. They're given a nice bonus. Thank you very much. Remember, we have a confidentiality agreement in place. You know, don't mm -hmm. mention this to anybody. And they, they walk away. The company never realized that mm -hmm. this drain of really sensitive information has ever happened. So that's just one of several different techniques that can be utilized, you know, outside the realm of cybersecurity to, you right. know, that, that violates the protection of, of information. And, and that's a really interesting scenario because from the organization's perspective and the company's perspective, how the only way really to prevent that from happening or protect yourself is to educate your employees, right? The, the technical controls and everything else is pretty much out the window. You're absolutely right. And I bet you there's not very many companies that, 
caution you regarding, you know, how you deal with uh, someone who approaches you, right, as right. an executive recruiter. Uh, most companies don't want you necessarily talking to recruiters, but they can't stop you. Yeah. But do they caution you? I mean, we, we, we don't prevent you from uh, speaking with recruiters, but if you are contacted, just keep this in mind because this is an approach that is utilized uh, by social engineers. You know, right. then there's also so many other uh, venues for, you know, when employees go out to attend conferences, when they're speakers at conferences. I mean, when they're speakers, they're I mean, those, they are prime targets for approaches. Uh, if they're at trade shows, if they're traveling, uh, especially to some overseas uh, conferences. I mean, these are all ways that uh, social engineers will prepare in advance and make their approach to the individuals and 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 easily, easily suck them in without them ever realizing it. Peter, what are, what are some tactics for um, employees to understand and to protect themselves and the company against these types of threats? Well, the way we approach the security awareness training, I mean, we could do it on, you know, we have modules online and there are times when online is the only way to really, you know, get it done because it's hard to bring people together mm. uh, who are working at remote locations. But ideally, we like to hold on-site workshops where we can tailor the training to the company, the company's culture, as well as the industry in which that company operates. I think a very good starting point when we do uh, have these on-site uh, workshops is for the individuals to understand, okay, what information within my company could be of value to somebody on the outside? You know, and there's a lot of different types of information. Perhaps it's the uh, research and development. Well, who might want that, right? Could it be a state actor like China or could, could it be a competitor? Uh, where might that information be held within the company? Who might have access to it? Who could facilitate access to it? Then you have customer data, right? Who might want the customer data? Is it, you know, for resale in the black market? Uh, who might want, you know, is the information regarding the employees? Is that something that someone could want? Uh, ransomware. How does ransomware work? You know, how is my company potentially susceptible to it? If it were to happen, what's the impact? How many days could my company be down and not, and not be able to be up and running? What would be the impact on the company? You know, would they, should they pay the, the ransom, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and the same thing with business uh, uh, email uh, compromise. So like, what, what is the impact? Why would somebody want to do these things? What are they looking to benefit from it, how is this information ultimately used? So, have, and and it's so that they understand that that they are all stewards of protecting information in right. an organization. Because even if some of this information is more under the responsibility and control of other members, anybody in that organization can be really utilized to facilitate access, and it becomes the responsibility of, of everyone. And then we, from there, we go on to explaining. And it's not only that company. A lot of times I get you know response, well, my company, just absolutely, we have nothing that would be of interest to a criminal group yeah, or yeah. to, especially to an intelligence service. And I say, well, wait a minute. Who do you do business with? Mm -hmm. Who do you sell to? Who do you buy from? Because uh, I think I understand that. I listen to understand the difference between hard targets and soft targets. Hard target is one that's very difficult to penetrate, right? Soft targets typically has very lax security and very easy to penetrate. If I were to go after a company that I considered a hard target, I would then look at, well, what other ways are there into this company or this uh, target? And many times it's going to be through somebody who does business 
with them. So, I mean, I could just throw out a lot of different examples, but, you know, um, law firms, CPA firms, a, a staffing companies, uh, outsource IT as support. And, and I mean, the, 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 it's like the list is endless. Mm. So even if you think I got nothing really in my company that could be a value, you could definitely be a, a target to get to the bigger, bigger fish. So we want them to understand that. We want them to understand the methodology uh, because social engineers do not conduct these attacks in a void. They will first uh, gather as much information as, as possible, studying, of course, through OSINT. A lot of people are aware of, of OSINT. But there's, uh, what I try to bring out to the, uh, in the training is a number of different types of sources of information that people, you know, they know it's maybe out there, but they have no idea about how that can be leveraged in being able to design an attack. I mean, just think about the pictures that people will upload to the internet from their workplace, pictures of them in front of their cubicles with their ID badge, the color of their ID badge, which can easily be manufactured for flash purposes, pictures of them in front of their type of computer, the hardware that's utilized, maybe sometimes with their screen even on, some uh, pictures maybe with the little sticky notes uh, next to their terminal that has their password on. Uh, sometimes there's even floor pants floor plans of companies that are out there in social media because there was some event that was hosted and they wanted to make sure that guests would be able, be able to to find their way. Well, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. You know, a lot of us in the uh, hacking community will uh, kind of make sport out of identifying badges and pictures and how easy or difficult it would be to recreate those. But a floor plan is I very interesting from a social engineer's perspective because if you're, let's say, uh, posing as an employee of that company, and now you know your way around the building, and that just plays into the persona that you are creating. And I've seen very successful, you know, pen tests in the past where they pretended to be a new, you know, an employee starting or transferring from another division, and they work inside that company for an entire week, and nobody knows the difference. Having the floor plan would play into that ruse spectacularly. Well, it plays very well. And even just pictures of what it looks like within the company. Are there, you know, cubicles or are these open floor spaces, lounge place, places mm -hmm. like what a lot of these companies now have where there's like people don't even have their own desk anymore. They just yeah. go around and use whatever space is available. Who knows who really belongs there? Right, right. Some of these it's companies true. have thousands of people. They don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like a big WeWorks environment where you just kind of walk in and sit down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a great point. Uh, well, I think about, for example, even the, uh, the the job postings that HR puts out. Is there any really any oversight to looking at? Is there any information on these job uh, descriptions that could be utilized for, by a social engineer to have an insight into what type of IT platform mm -hmm. exists at that company, what kind of software is used? Because many times on the job postings, they might even include preferred IT, you know, preferred skills, you know, uh, of, of, in specific software and specific platforms. That mm -hmm. provides a window of uh, insight into what the company is actually using as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that companies will just put out there. They had control over, over this information, but they put it out there on their own without realizing how it can be utilized. Yeah, I think making employees and users understand the how the data could be used maliciously and the importance of even data, they may feel like, oh, the software used, like, that's not a big deal. And once they go through your training, Peter, they'll come out of that understanding that. 
I, I also want to get that out to the masses as well, because if you're on social media, you see sometimes people fill out these big surveys like, oh, here's a oh. list of 10 questions. You know, tell me about these 10 personal things and people are posting them on social media. And those of us, like especially here at Security Weekly and in the security community are like, whoa, 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 don't don't do that. Not only can you get your password reset questions, but the insights that just answering those 10 questions give you and you putting out there publicly, even though you may think it's not public, it, if it's on the internet, it can be public, right? It is public uh, and you shouldn't do that, right? So, and we try and caution our friends and family, but I think that's a great example of exactly what you're talking about, Peter, understanding the importance of the data that you have. And what we do during the workshop is when we talk about these things of information that the company puts out there, we have the uh, actual employees also look into a few of these regarding their company. Uh, is this information out there regarding their company that they never realized maybe that's there? And also doing a social media review mm -hmm. as I'm talking about these different things and how we can use it on so from social media, doing their own review on themselves and, and, and then going through a discussion, how different pieces of information, how that can be leveraged during an approach, you know, and so really... Do you put all that information out there just to kind of like promote yourself? Uh, but at the same time, there's a downside. PR can come at a cost uh, because there's vulnerabilities in that PR information. That right. Put out there. So right. Peter, you talked about hard and soft targets. And obviously, you know, organizations that do a really good job of educating their staff and creating a hard target still has relationships with soft targets. Kind of how do you recommend organizations address those third-party potential soft targets? How, how do they get their arms around that? Because I would think that would be pretty difficult since they don't really control that other company. What, kind of what tips or tricks do you have uh, for those third parties? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, first of all, I'm sure most companies, if they haven't, they got to be very careful when they vet the companies that they're doing business with. But beyond that, if this is really a trustworthy uh, vendor or, or, or company they're doing business with, be able to, to provide to them also some guidance that they're going to need to follow uh, in regard to, you know, it, it, when they, they actually do a, a complete audit of uh, security, security vulnerabilities in a company, take a look at the vulnerabilities that their vendors or the companies that they deal with also can pose and trying to work with those vendors to also uh, institute some minimal uh, precautions to include maybe even, even uh, undergoing a training. I mean, you're right. There's only so much that you can do, but I think at least drawing it to their attention and maybe then asking them some specific questions and procedures that you want them to follow, that's probably the most you can do. Uh, but it, currently in the industry, most people, security practitioners are not, don't even think about the possibility of how they can be, how, uh, their security can be circumvented by through a, through an outside, uh, vendor or, or relationship. Peter, if, uh, people want to learn more about, uh, your organization and your services, uh, where can they go and, and what, uh, I know you have some, also some available resources online as well. Yeah, I would recommend visiting our website. It's counterintelligence-institute.com. Also, if you looked at my name uh, on the internet, you would find Peter Warmka. You'd find my LinkedIn page that has a lot of links also. Uh, but on the website, you have links to uh, you, uh, YouTube that has a number of videos of, of links to uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. And there's also in my on my website, there's a... Uh, training courses that are offered currently and there's going to be additional ones coming up and as i mentioned i'll be doing a a series of uh, webinars 
coming up that are going to be uh, free and open to to everyone. So if some if someone were to want more information, please contact me via the website. That would be the best point. Awesome. Peter, thank you so much for appearing on Enterprise Security Weekly. It was a, a great discussion. Now I don't want to give out any information about Security Weekly or myself ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. People become so paranoid. Yeah. That's a good thing, though. It's a good no, thing. It's, it, you have to. A little bit, it's, it, it's good. It's very good. You need to have it. Awesome. Peter, thank you so much. And thank you. That Appreciate will conclude this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. See you next time.